the Quantify itself apps which I wear on my body, around my body, in my body. You will put kind of a tube in the back of my body. But I'm not Mr. Digital. I mean, I'm Mr. Delight. Maybe it's because liquid starts to fill her lungs. <sighs> and so if there would be kind of regression of the back of my eye, I can detect it myself. No doctor implied. Just with the app? Yeah, with the just device? with the app. Hi, I'm Must Reader, and this is my show on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of society and technology. Today, here with me is Kuen Kass, a famous biotech entrepreneur, a doctor, a professor, and a visionary in the area of future of medicine. Hi, Kuen. Nice to meet you. Nice Thanks to meet for the you. invitation. Um, let's start off with uh, a question that is nagging me today. I'm here, uh, I, I've come here from a doctor's appointment mm -hmm. and uh, I've been feeling a little bit uh, ill uh, recently. Uh, with all those texts and videos that I've been consuming on transhumanism, on mm -hmm. the future of technology, I can't really see any progress on uh, treating simple uh, flu or cold. Yeah. Uh, when will we eradicate those? Yeah. The thing is that super simple things like bacterial infection, we have managed to deal with with soap. Eh? The biggest invention ever, soap, which managed to extend our lifespan with 100% in the last 200 years. But something super simple like the flu, which is a super simple virus, we still have a hard time to kind of deal with. And till a few years ago, it was even hard to distinguish, well, a viral infection from a bacterial infection. Only now, 2020, we can start to do that. And that's absolutely crucial because imagine in the morning you have a little child with fever and you have to decide whether you have to go to the doctor to get antibiotics or whether you have to put the child in a bed. Only now we start to have the digital tools to find out by sensors and by a biomarker. So it's indeed, it takes some time before we get there, but we finally are there. And if you think about eradicating viral infection, you know that the flu virus is a pretty smart one. It finds a way to change every single year, in a sense. And sometimes it even goes faster. And while we have been thinking about, well, we have to find the flu, only now we start to realize that maybe we don't have to find the flu, maybe we have to find the, the entry point of the virus into the body. And that becomes a new way to start thinking about how can we make people immune against being infected. And that's one of the things which really got hot. When How does it work? Yeah. I guess you heard recently about this Chinese doctor who now has been... CRISPR. Yeah, the CRISPR guy. Huh? So his idea was trying to think about where HIV, the AIDS virus, yeah. is entering the cell and trying to mimic the receptor to prevent this from happening. Huh? And a number of errors have been made, but the same thinking you can start to apply to a number of different kind of pathogens, if you like. Now, the real challenge I think we have in, uh, in healthcare is, yes, we will still have some viral infections, but the majority of challenges we have is chronic diseases. Eh? People die from things like cancer, degenerative disease, diabetes. And I think what SOAP has been doing for bacterial disease I think what you're going to see is that digital technology, smartphone-linked things, will do the same for chronic disease. 
we will start to be able to predict them in time to anticipate things and start to be able to prevent things from happening. And that's the real area. I'm so you mean uh, wearable devices and all those apps that help you to quantify yourself? Yeah, that's currently the state of the art. Eh? The quantified self apps which I wear on my body, around my body, in my body. But what we start to see is that we can start to move away from kind of these very early kind of days measurements. I needed a Fitbit a while ago eh, to find out how many steps I take. And that Fitbit thing was to be combined with maybe a heart rate measurement and maybe with kind of a third measurement, but it was very limited in, in how much explanation it provided to people. But now we start to have different senses which can be in the environment so that, for instance, if I walk, it's not being measured by myself, but it can be measured by my house. So we have, for instance, the first tools where a sensor sits in the brick in my apartment, follows me, and me being 85 years old, if I do not move any longer, maybe I've fallen down. So I don't have to measure with sensors on me, it can be in my environment. And it starts to become fascinating now, because super simple things like how I drink, drinking tea, let me move, make me move different than drinking a coffee, we can now start to measure simply the movement of the hand wrist by, for instance, an algorithm in a watch. And we don't have to ask people, what do you have been drinking? We can tell from looking to wrist movements. And these insights all of a sudden start to provide us the first time the possibility to envision that there might come a time that we can measure a patient 24-7. And that is the real reason that we get sick so far. Because as a doctor, to be honest, we know nothing about a patient, really nothing. And I'm going to try to make an, um, an um, equivalent. If I send a package here from Moscow to Barcelona, I can trace that package every five minutes on a website of things like FedEx or UPS, yeah. which I find normal. But my average patient is 8,750 hours a year by himself, not linked to me as doctor. So how can I be a doctor who finds out things in time? I cannot. And that is exactly what this entire digital revolution is going to do. We're going to be able, knowing my biology, my whereabouts, my lifestyle, not to say, well, you don't have to do this or you should do that. No, we're going to do things in a completely invisible fashion. And one cool example comes from here in, in Russia, from Sochi, from the Olympics, where you might have seen this cool ad campaign in the metro, in the, in the underground where a machine was installed, where you got a free ride on the metro if you could bow, bend 20 times to your knees within two minutes. Mm -hmm. That ID now has been stolen by the state of Mexico. In every single metro station in Mexico, people are installing the same kind of machine. So I'm being paid to move, to be healthy. As a reward, I get a free ride. And that is a fascinating way to look to the future. If we can start to provide experiences to patients and in the future to healthy people, then we for the first time see that we maybe don't have to wait till getting sick, but we can start to coach and motivate people to remaining healthy. And I don't know whether you have Netflix. I don't. Really have. Netflix now allows you, and pretty soon in Russia as well, 
to pick the favorite character from your favorite series and to program that on your smartphone. And it becomes Greg's coach. Mm -hmm. And you can look to the next episode of your favorite series only when you have been exercising properly. So you can have an experience I haven't had. And you feel enriched. You feel empowered. And so far, and, and that way, I don't have to tell you, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's in an invisible fashion. I earn it, in a sense. And that is kind of the world we try to look to. How can we build the world in which our grandchildren no longer need to get sick because we have technology to anticipate things in time and to start providing experiences for things not to happen. Well, that's all really exciting. And uh, when you mentioned uh, uh, that uh, some uh, countries, some states uh, motivate their citizens yeah. in such a way, I immediately uh, remembered um, the, I think it was the Black Mirror series, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> where you get points for physical activity yeah. because that's uh, economically uh, yeah. um, beneficial for the state. Uh, yeah. Healthier citizens, <laughs> no need to pay for their health care. Yeah, in different ways. If you look now, for every 100 euro, dollar, yen or ruble we spent, we spent 90% of that amount to the last two years of our life and less than 1% to prevention, which is absolutely crazy. Should be changed. So if you take 10% from the curative therapy from the reactive sick care, you have 1000% more preventive health care. And with that amount, you can start to do a lot of things. So if you think about someone with diabetes, for instance, the time he gets diagnosed, 10 years in advance, he got pre-diabetes. And 20 years in advance, he got something called metabolic syndrome. So in the 20 years before he gets really diseased, you can start to play with doing different things not selling pills. And we have indeed, because you mentioned these wearables, we indeed have data that providing a diabetic patient the motivation to do a 2,000 steps a day is enough to prevent him from getting more sick and even seems to help to revert the disease mm -hmm. back to normal. Just 2,000 steps. And that is a day. And if that is so simple with such a basic measurement, you can start to imagine how much more we can start to do when this starts to take off. And let me give you a second example. My mother is 85, and every day she wakes up, same time, 8 o'clock, goes from the bedroom to the bathroom to the kitchen to the living room, always in sync. And I have given her a kind of very nice wearable, which doesn't count steps, it counts the time it takes to go from room A to B to C to D. And if the time it takes to go from A to B to C is 30% more in July than it was in January, maybe it's because liquid starts to fill her lungs mm -hmm. and she starts to become breathless. And that's the perfect marker to predict acute heart failure. So a super simple wristband allows me to predict heart failure in time. What's the name of the gadget? Yeah, it's called Wear Predict, Predict Wear. Mm -hmm. yeah or something else, super simple as well. When I told my children when they were little, don't eat too fast, they said, well, what is not too fast? So I gave him tableware, comes from lift laps, and lift laps measures the time between each serving. And if it goes too fast, it shakes. They found it fascinating. Wow. And they changed behavior completely. 
by a super simple gadget. And the reason why it helps is because if you eat fast, your brain doesn't have the time to say you have enough and people keep on eating. While normally we have enough with stopping at 80%. So you can start to use kind of digital tricks to give people a cool, fun, nicely designed experience and prevent things from happening. And another example, if I may, mm -hmm. once we get old, we forget to drink. So people 85 year old, they don't think about drinking. Just water. Water, mm -hmm. super simple water. So we devised together with the company a patch which measures dehydration. Good, not good enough, because if I forget to drink, how can I interpret the patch? So we added a layer of electronics to the patch and programmed it so that it communicates with my TV. Because people 80 plus, they watch a few hours TV each day. And now every three hours, my TV tells me, Kun, it's time to go drinking. So I've combined biology with technology to change behavior in an invisible fashion. Wow, in Japan, we fly in with a drone into service floods and on the drone is a glass of water. That's not to forget, that's healthcare by default. So I don't have to think about things. I don't have to be knacked, it comes in automatically. And that's the world we try to build. Wow, that's all really impressive. And um, I'm looking forward to more uh, implementation of those uh, technologies. What do you personally do on a daily basis yeah. to keep healthier, to live longer? Which yeah. wearables uh, do you yeah. use? Yeah. Tell me about it. The thing is, about the living longer, I would like to make a point, if I may. Yeah. If you ask people whether they were willing to know how many days they still have to live, no one wants to know that. But if you turn it around, imagine that you can do something in your lifestyle environment and the number doesn't go down and goes up, then everybody says, well, that's what I want to know. So the thing is, it's not building a world in which we live as long as possible, but what you want to do is build a world in which you die young, but as late as possible. Die healthy, you mean? Yeah, you die healthy. Mm -hmm. And the day before you die, you want to be healthy. And I think if I have to give one advice, which comes from studies worldwide, looking to the blue zones, but also looking to a number of experiments we do, I'll come back to that. I think one of the best advices you can give to people is to be happy and endorse change. And change is something which will not stop. That's the only constant of the future. But at some point in time, people say, well, I'm, I'm done with it. I want to have stability. But it seems that people who endorse change, which are always are curious, that they have a tendency from naturally to live happier and longer. Because they're not worried that something is kind of different from yesterday. They're okay with that. Mm. So that's kind of a rule, which I think beyond the super basic things like move naturally. Don't count it, but move naturally. Eh? Make sure you have social interaction, absolutely critical. And don't start to build social interactions when you get old. I think social interaction is one of the biggest, biggest advices you can give to people. You mean and friends, yeah, uh, friends, loved ones? Yeah, and that sounds kind of obvious, but that's not. Because the biggest epidemic which currently comes to mankind is not loneliness. diabetes, it's not obesity, it's loneliness. And it's hitting especially 18 to 20 year old, well, youngsters, which are fantastic. 
in kind of keeping appearances with their social network, but they have a hard time to say, hi, I'm Kuhn, who are you? Let's do something in the real world. And so we have been experimenting with building kind of combinations of virtual and physical games now in Belgium, where we train people as of age 12 to deal with social interaction, to deal with it's okay that you fail, it's okay that not everything works out, but it's crucial that you dare to tell. And that comes back to what I just mentioned, that's dealing with change. A lot of people, when they apply for the job, they feel, and they don't get the job, they feel they have failed. Don't do that. Write a letter and thank the guys that you could apply. Maybe they need you in the future. The same with looking to a metro station or train station. The majority of people is looking to its smartphone. Right? Yeah. Don't do that. Say, hi, I'm going to Geneva. Who are you? I don't know you, but maybe you're my next publisher. Maybe you're my next boss. It's trying to dare the risk that I have to talk and that makes people healthier. It's so strange that you have to teach youngsters that. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super basic. It to be obvious. Yeah. Try to communicate, try to dare risk and don't see things as I failed and share things. And I think that we'll find out that these are the key ingredients to provide people kind of the happiest possible life um, towards the end. So there already has been research showing that people with friends uh, and people with more social activity absolutely. and people who embrace change, they live longer. Yeah, absolutely. How yeah. big is the difference? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not just a like few five weeks years, ten eh? years. But it's order of, Yeah, absolutely. It's order of magnitude five years at least. And that's kind of grown naturally. So you can start to envision that we can kind of impact these things and that we can learn people to make connections. And these are things we are trying to find out by combining things in the real and in the physical world. Well, let me give you a few examples. In the place where I live and in the restaurant part of Europe, if you go to a restaurant now, very often, you see families sitting around the table and all of them are using a smartphone. Mm -hmm. But now we have the possibility to have a pepper mill, for instance, a pepper mill which I can use, which quenches the signal of the smartphone of all the people around the table. So they have to talk. There is a fantastic a designer. Gadget. Special gadget. Special There is a fantastic designer in the Netherlands who has made tablecloth. And at the side of the tablecloth is a, is a niche. And you have to put in your smartphone first before people come and order and take your order. So it allows you to start realizing how connected we got to something which has a lot of advantages, but which makes, again using gadgets, us more human again. Mm -hmm. And these are things we try to experiment with in the entire life of people. Yeah? And to make sure that we can build things like communities. And that's not just around healthy people, also sometimes with people which are disabled. Two examples. One of the coolest apps I've seen released uh, the last few years is Be My Eyes. If you look to disabled people which have a hard time to, to see, even blind people, they also have a smartphone. But imagine I come somewhere and I don't see something. Now I have an app, Be My Eyes, I point to something I don't see and I ask my friends, my community, can you please tell me what I didn't see? 
when the app launched in four months time, 10,000 blind people built a community with on average 25 people who were willing to be their buddies, if you like. So just like volunteers. Volunteers. And that shows you that even while I have some handicaps, I can start to build things which I didn't, I couldn't do in the past, no digital tools, and which start to build a community which are more than volunteers, but which are sometimes willing to keep on helping me. Huh? Or for instance, what Google now allows on top of Google Maps is a super simple service where if I'm in a wheelchair, I'm disabled, and I can reach a point which I didn't realize I could reach in the past, I could leave a point on Google Maps. And this way, we are now making maps of places which can be visited by disabled people. Hmm. The fact that I learned that from a colleague patient, in a sense, makes or gives me a social connection and builds me a network I can rely on for new things. That's how we try to build kind of a delightful world by introducing technology almost invisibly in the back to provide, well, to kind of delete frictions out of people's life. And if you can start to delete friction after friction, I believe that at some point in time, we can start to delete the biggest friction in sick care, which is getting sick in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, very nice examples, but uh, those were like the obvious ones. Uh, I mean, uh, being healthy, uh, it's good for being healthy to have friends, to have social connections, to have human warmth and stuff like this. Yep. But what uh, many of uh, my viewers, I'm sure, will be interested in besides that, yep. that is absolutely mm -hmm. important. Uh, you, don't, sure. you cannot neglect that. Yep. But besides that, what do you do like... Uh, as a person who knows something about quantified self stuff, about yep. biohacking stuff, yep. do you do anything like measuring your parameters, your biomarkers to, yep. to live a healthier and longer life? Yep. What we are playing with is something which only recently became obvious. A lot of people quantify what they eat by writing down. Now we can take a picture and basically the picture allows me to see what is missing supplement-wise or vitamin-wise. So the AI recognizes? That's AI does do that. That's one of the coolest algorithms currently out there. What's the Nest yeah. Nestle has launched that in Japan. It comes from Nestle. Nestle. Only works in Japan so far. Mm. Yeah. But let me ex explain and answer your question. I got myself sequenced. And DNA. My DNA, my mm. full genome. Me too. 10 years ago. Mm. Cool. And that's my real kind of expertise. And one of the things I found out, I will get blind in a few years. I don't know when, mm. but I have a number of mutations which kind of degrade the back of my eye. Since I know that, I'm very happy to know that, I added one supplement to my lifestyle. It's a supplement which basically delays the degradation of the back of my eye. But it really became fascinating two years ago when the first software algorithm came to the market it was called IDX, which allows me to scan my eye myself. And that's what I do. So I scan my eye with an AI tool. It's called software as a medical device. And so if there would be kind of <laughs> regression of the back of my eye, I can detect it myself. No doctor implied. Just with the app? Yeah, with the just device? with the app. And this way, if something would happen today, the drugs which are out there, which don't work because 
you always encounter too late can be applied in time. And that's one of the coolest examples I give. That is, I'm a big proponent of explaining people why they should get themselves sequenced. I find it ethically unacceptable that we don't do that yet. And all the things we try to do where biology is involved are exactly starting from something I know based on my genome, adding sensor or kind of food data and changing behavior of patients. If I may, two examples. Yeah. If I ask my students, 22 years old, do you want to get yourself sequenced? The majority say no, because what do I have to do when I find out what Angelina Julie found out? That mm, I am yeah. predisposed to get breast cancer. And then I show them a bra, which is a clinical development, which is a bra, which contains at the inside of the cup a tiny sensor, which sits on Angelina's breasts and is so sensitive in measuring heat, temperature, that only if a tumor starts to grow, the bra tells. And maybe it doesn't happen. Luckily, I still have my two breasts. And if it does happen, maybe I'm 55. Kids are out of the house, removing my two breasts becomes easier. If I show that to my patients, then one in five becomes four in five, because technology allows them not to have to decide immediately, but they can delay the decision. You see my point? Yeah. The same with men. If I ask men, can I look to the channel that you get colon cancer? The majority says no, because to confirm, you will put kind of a tube in the back of my body, an right? endoscope. We no longer do that. Now we have a very tiny pill with a 360 degree camera, which I swallow, which swims to my intestines, makes better pictures than I've ever seen, and makes one in five men willing to know turns into three in five. So that's what we really do. We use technology to switch behavior, but not just by one single data point, by combining things to the better. And our last example we are playing with, besides genomes, we start to be better in measuring what is lives in my body, my microbes, my microbial. Yeah? And already a while we started to see that people with depression seem to lack a number of bacterial strains. Hmm. So we work now with a company trying to make probiotics, which we supplement with the bacteria which seem to be absent specifically in people which turn into depression. And the way we try to find out how to treat patients is by looking to different data sets, for instance, to look to their Instagram profile. We have data from Instagram where people using a color filter, orange or red today, and within one month shift to gray and blue, one month later are depressed. No. Not unsurprising. Instagram orange, knows more about you yeah, than you because know. Because orange about is happiness, but blue and gray are cold. That's a single data point worth nothing. But then we supplement that with a data point from voice. Try Moody's. Moody's tells you in which emotional state you are. It's, uh, it's an, an app. app, Israeli app. Combined with the Instagram picture, with the voice and with the facial expression, we can start to define which bacteria to play with to complement biology. And that's how we really look to the world. Trying to combine sensor data, wearable data and biology to provide people tools to predict and basically anticipate things from happening. And this entire world of AI, artificial intelligence, we call that differently. We call that anticipational intelligence. And that's where I think 
and that's what we test on ourselves as well and on the team. That's how we can, by testing things ourselves, we are health scouts, we can come to people, show things from real life and try to convince people helping and making them better. So that's uh, what your company is currently doing. Yeah. So we scout for new things, tech, science, design these business models, and we help big corporates to show them that we can build business models where you get paid to remain healthy. And this way, we even work with companies like Coca-Cola, which you don't see as a health company, but we gave us the mandate to start envisioning how they can become a company designing health. Yeah. For instance, you mm -hmm. get a Coke machine, you put your finger on the machine, and based on your biometric profile and your biomarker profile, they adapt the composition of the Coke. And that's also transhumanism. Because wow. we start to use things out of our environment to make us better, but because we interact with things out of our natural life. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned the term transhumanism a couple of times. Uh, do you consider yourself a transhumanist? No, but if people, if you would ask people, they would say, yes, they call me Mr. Digital. But I'm not Mr. Digital. I mean, I'm Mr. Delights. I don't like to use <laughs> technology in a sense to change the world, but I like to use the concept of what can I give to a patient or to a healthy individual which he didn't expect to get. Because that is something you cannot top. You can make a product better, you can make a service better, but if you can start to sell delight, that's hard to top. And one of the things we're most proud of, that one of the biggest pharma companies, which so far have been selling pills, they have now written a manifesto which is called a patient delight manifesto. They no longer sell drugs to people, they start to sell delight to patients. So the big pharma companies yeah. have signed it. Yeah. I, and, and, I'll give the link below in the description of the video. Yeah, so it's, yeah. And that way we start to feel really convinced that that model of transhumanism, which I use in the context of, yes, we can make human beings, or we can make a world where we prevent sickness, that's where I use transhumanism for the kind of the, the upgrading from the natural history we will end in sickness to prevent that from even happening. And that's how I see the world. Well, delight is uh, indeed <laughs> a really nice term. Okay. So I see you are wearing a, it's that an Apple Watch. Watch. It's an Apple Watch. So, yeah. but, but not uh, not many more other sensors no, or they are no. unseen? No. no, currently I don't have any unmeen, but we test a lot of things. So. The things which are out there, the majority we test. And maybe it's interesting for your readers. We have published the database of all the certified health apps. Yeah, more than 100. Yeah, right. it's 180. It's not a lot, but at least these, I would love my healthcare professional to know. That list can be found on the apps at healthscouts.com. Yeah, that link we will also give okay. in the search. Okay. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, okay. but uh, last, I'd like you to recommend uh, to our viewers some reading material because we always recommend some stuff to dig deeper into the topic. Yeah, I think, um, so I've written a book myself, <laughs> it's called Your Guide to Delight. Um, but I think what is maybe fascinating to, to kind of provide you people is an avatar, a companion. And that avatar is called Woobot, W-O-E-B-O-T. And I think that is a nice boat to what is coming to us. I think we're going to be able to build a world where all this sensor data, which are boring in a sense, 
will be translated in providing a digital copy of ourselves. It really called an avatar, a digital twin. And one of the projects I've been involved with is a big project called Health EU. People can look at. And Health EU tried to give every European, by the end of 2030, its digital copy, its avatar, which is being fed by all the data coming from sensors, by my genome, by my microbial, and is combined into the knowledge I would need as a doctor to predict every chronic disease to prevent it from happening. So that is the best advice I can give to people. To look to the Health EU websites, to look to Wubot, which is an example of a psychological avatar, so that people can start to find out how much am I willing to share in my life to make my life kind of transhuman. Because I'm willing to be confronted with things like a digital tool which found out that I'm procrastinating. Which found out, without me even daring to admit, that I sometimes don't dare to do things because I think I will fail and he can get me over it. And I think that is one of the nicest things for your public to start playing with. These things are out and can be seen as, well, am I willing to play with that and to change my life to the better? It's available for free? Yeah, it's for free. Well, uh, I'm going to okay. play with it, definitely. Yeah, please do. Thank you so much for Pleasure. coming on the show. Pleasure. Um, your book uh, will be a gift to the winner of I the see. traditional I contest. Yeah. Uh, please leave in the comment section below your comment about our guest. How do you find him? Maybe some, uh, describe some of the examples that you heard today and uh, say whether you like them or not. Maybe some things uh, seem too far-fetched to you, maybe uh, not far-fetched enough. Uh, I will read uh, all the comments and will choose the winner of the contest. Uh, he or she will obtain a free copy of the ebook by our guest today. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. This has been Must Reader. See you next week.